Zero. Well, praise the Lord. We are so glad to be able to get into the word today. I'm going to ask you to open your Bible and go to Matthew chapter eight. I want us to think about some scriptural ways in which the sick were ministered to in the Bible. And I think it'll be enlightening to see how the Lord handled this and how the disciples handled this. I want to say beforehand, this world is filled with people that are ill. Sometimes it's genetic. Some people inherit from their family members a body that has all kind of infirmities and weaknesses and difficulties. Sometimes people find themselves in a bad way because of the abuse of their body. Sometimes one fractured bone could lead to other bad things, and uh, it could be from sports. But whatever the case, we've always had people in this world that had problems. We have people in this world now that have physical problems, and we will always have people in this world that have physical problems. And the reason for that is because all of these manifestations are a product of Adam and Eve's sin. The reason we have murder, deceit, lies, stuff like that in this world is because of Adam and Eve's sin. The reason we have famine, poverty, so many other things in this world is because of Adam and Eve's sin. So the Lord had a cure before we ever had a problem. He produced a remedy before the problem ever manifested. And the remedy was Jesus Christ, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. But I want you to see that part of Jesus' ministry in taking upon himself our infirmities, <coughs> excuse me, was not that he waited until he went to the cross to do this. He was doing this during his lifetime. Matthew 8, look at verse number 14. And when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, that's, that's a good son-in-law that goes and gets his mama-in-law healed. That's if you want to get some good points in with your in-laws, get, get Jesus in the house to bless them. Verse 16, when the evening was come... They brought unto Jesus many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. And then verse 17, here's why. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Well, you say, well, I, I thought Jesus fulfilled that verse when he went to Calvary. He did. But as you can see here, as Matthew writes, the healing of the bodies, the deliverance of the demonically possessed, also fulfilled Isaiah 53, which was tied to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he didn't heal people just when he died on the cross. He started this sometime before he had to endure the judgments and the passions. So this reveals the attitude of Jesus toward healing, I believe. He believes that healing people is in confirmation of Isaiah's prophecies. He believed that those who are ill should be made whole. Why should they be left in that condition if he has the ability to heal them? 
Well, the other aspect is you may say, well, okay, if Jesus had all of this power, how come he didn't heal everybody that was in Israel? Well, again, look at verse number 16. The many people that were brought to him and the people that were sick, he healed them. Those that did not come to him, he was unable to touch and minister to. I've heard plenty of people say, well, if you believe Jesus can heal the sick, why don't you just go empty out the hospitals or something like that? Well, first of all, my first name is Daryl. It's not Jesus. That's the first thing. Same as yours. The second thing is, I believe Jesus saves. So the question then is, why don't you go and rid your city or your community of every sinner? Well, you can't do it any more than I can. All we can do is witness to people and share Jesus' love with people and do the things God has shown us to do through the word. Jesus preached the kingdom. Jesus explained the kingdom. Jesus taught the kingdom. So we should teach the principles of salvation. Jesus ministered to the sick. He sent his 12 out to minister to the sick. He sent 70 out to minister to the sick. When they found one that was casting out devils who weren't a part of the 12 or the 70, Jesus said, if he's not against me, he's for me. So throughout the scripture, anybody who's on God's side trying to make people whole, we should be happy about that. So what are some ways then that people in the Bible have come to know that Jesus is a healer. Well, we quoted Isaiah 53 because we just read Matthew chapter 8, verse number 17. But let's go now to Luke chapter 5, and I'll show you something else here. Luke chapter 5, and we have verses 18 through 26, a man who was brought in, who was paralyzed, and verse 19, you can see they couldn't figure out a way to get in there, so they climbed up on the roof and destroyed the man's house to get the sick person in. Now, here we're destroying private property. You, you, you know you wouldn't be happy at all if somebody, you know, took the shingles off the top of your roof and then took a pickaxe to the top of it and carved out a nice hole in there and then let somebody sick down. You'd be happy to see the sick made whole, but you'd be looking at that hole all night long and you, weren't, you wouldn't be too pleased about it. Well, they did this here, and in verse 20, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? The faith of those carrying the paralyzed man, not the faith of the paralyzed man. Now, I can attest to this. I have been in the hospital in so much pain that I, I just could not believe for myself in that much pain. So sometimes the, the faith of other people is necessary in praying for you. It's always good to know what's wrong with you. If you can get a, some kind of diagnostic test or something from a doctor, at least you know how to believe God. But it's possible to have so much pain that it's hard to believe. You ever seen a, a lady or a man get an extremely terrible migraine headache? About the only thing they can do is just go lay down in the bed, curl up in a fetal position because it hurts them so much. But somebody else can intercede and pray. That's what happened here in verses 19 and 20. Verse 21, the scribes and Pharisees, they began to reason. They said, who is this man that speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Because Jesus had told him in the previous verse, your sins are forgiven. Now, the question that Jesus asked in verse 24 is the key. Or verse 23, he says, your sins are forgiven. He said, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and be healed. And he wanted to demonstrate that with God and by God, 
It's no harder or easier for him to heal a crippled person than it is to deliver you of all of your sins. Now, for us, we just think there's a big, huge disparity between the two. How in the world can God think like that? Because he's God. Okay, he's God. He's, he's totally different than us. His thinking isn't even like ours. I mean, we, we look at it. We go in the hospital, we visit somebody, and they've got tubes and everything coming out of them and all of these computer screens and stuff going, and he blips and bleeps and all of that. And we get nervous when we see that. Discoloration in a person's body, our sympathies and affections for our family members are so great that we have a very difficult time believing God can bring them out of that. But God looks at that same person with the kind of love that he has for them when they are well. And it doesn't matter what the sin may be or how many sins there are. It takes no more power on God's part to deliver a serial killer from his sins than it does to heal Peter's mother-in-law. No more power. And as difficult as that may be for you to believe, that's what Jesus is trying to teach here in this particular passage. So the, the, the one way or another way we can see that a person can be made whole is by believing the word of God. Just trusting the word of God. You can put your faith in that. If the Lord has said it, it's true. Jesus believed Isaiah 53, and because he believed it, he ministered to the sick. There are plenty of people that have read the Great Commission, and because they believed it, they went to foreign countries. There are multitudes of people who believe that Jesus was a healer, and because they believe it, they still pray for people today. Here's another way. In Mark chapter 5, I want you to notice verse 23. Mark is your uh, second gospel there. Mark chapter 5, look at verse 23. Let me see Verse 23 there. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Excuse me. But we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and use this one. Mark 5, 23. And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. I pray thee, come lay your hands on her. So you can see from, from Mark 5, 23, here's another way that a sick person can be ministered to, through the laying on of hands. At the end of Mark, he said, They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. There is something in the scripture about these individuals placing their hands upon infirmed people and believing that a power comes from heaven through their hands into the person. Well, from heaven into the person. But the act of laying hands on someone and praying, that becomes what some call a point of contact or a reference of faith, a reference point. But once you lay your hands upon a person, believe that something is going to happen. That's what they did in the Bible. That's what Jesus did here. And quite naturally, we, we find in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2, it talks about laying on of hands being one of the basic principles of the foundation of the gospel. And in Acts chapter 28, verse 8, when Paul was stranded on an island, he laid hands on people on the island, and it says they were made whole. So I believe that you too should lay hands on people and expect God to do things. I, I had a pastor one time, and in our church in Jacksonville, North Carolina, we had a lady in that church who had cancer. 
and she had cancer in her head, cancer in her brain. But, but my pastor, who's now gone on to be with the Lord, Donnie Ray Hester, had been raised up in a fellowship called Deliverance Evangelistic Temple. And that was a ministry that certainly believed in praying for the sick. Well, in that church, this lady who had cancer and had been taking chemo and didn't have a stitch of hair on her head and, and was told she was going to be dead. And so, so much time, my pastor in that congregation, in front of everybody, in the altar, in front of everybody, laid hands on her and, and prayed for and rebuked the cancer, commanded it to die. And he expected something to happen. And the lady never did die from the cancer because God had healed her and the lady had a full head of hair. She never did have any more of that chemo or anything else like that. God had healed her completely. Now you say, well, I just, I just have a hard time believing that. We'll just keep having a hard time. But it doesn't change the fact that woman got healed. And she's always going to testify to the fact that God healed her by the power of God. So another way in scripture for a person to be made whole is through the laying on of hands. If you go to the next chapter in Mark chapter 6, I want you to see another occasion here. Verse number 13, Jesus' disciples have gone out, and in verse 13, he told them, they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick, and he healed them. Now, this verse goes very well with James chapter 5, where it says through verses 13 through 16, if anybody's afflicted, let them pray. If anybody's happy, let them sing. If anybody is sick, let them call for the elders of the church. They'll anoint them with oil and pray the prayer of faith. So in the Bible, another biblical standard way of prayer is to take oil and anoint someone with that oil. Now, I keep a little oil right here. Okay, a little oil right here. Nothing magical about oil. But we, we anoint with oil because this is what the scripture says in the book of James. So we follow the scriptures. Somebody says, I'm not doing well. Could you anoint me? We anoint them. We pray the prayer of faith. We don't pray the prayer of unbelief. We don't pray the prayer of doubt and anxiety. We don't pray the prayer of disbelief. We pray the prayer with the expectation that our obedience on our end is going to produce a blessing for them on their end. If they're following scripture by asking for prayer and I'm obeying scripture by praying and anointing with oil, then their faith coupled with my faith, both of us are having the expectation that a divine intervention is going to take place. Now, if you don't believe that, no sense of getting involved with this. But they believed it since they believed it. We should do it. We should do it. And there's nothing in scripture that ever says we're not supposed to do it. Uh, people in the local church should know that the local church is a hospital. It consists of a bunch of people who were sinners, saved out of terrible things, that have come together to worship together, who also now are like-minded in the belief that he who did save does save. He who does save will save. And many of us have had outstanding afflictions and problems in our body, but we have found that the great physician is a healer. This doesn't take the place of 
uh, physicians' assistants and doctors and nurses. Uh, but Jesus didn't do commercials for hospitals, so I don't do commercials and advertisements for hospitals in the church. I do commercials and advertisements for Jesus Christ because he is the one who's a healer. So with the 206 bones in your body, a doctor can take what is fractured or broken and set it. But that doctor can't make those bones grow back together. It takes another power to do that. And Jesus certainly is a healer. So we've told you so far that a person can stand on God's word and believe and be healed. Then we've told you also through the laying on of hands, a person can be made whole. But then also we told you with the anointing of oil. So let's turn to Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. And I want you to see by intercession, a person can be made whole. We discovered with the paralyzed man that Jesus saw the faith of the people carrying him. What happens if the paralyzed person isn't in your vicinity or isn't even around you when you begin to pray? Mark chapter 7, notice verse 24. In the borders of Tyre and Sidon, that's up near Lebanon, said he would have gone into a house and didn't want anybody to know it, but he couldn't be hid. Verse 25, there was a woman that had a daughter with an unclean spirit. She heard about him and came and fell at his feet. This woman was Greek. She was a Syrophoenician by nation. And she asked him, please cast the devil out of my daughter. Now, that's a heck of a predicament to be in there, to have a daughter and to know your daughter is full of the devil and and to be living in that house. And then hear that somebody can help you. And then you turn around and leave the house because you're trying to get help. Uh, If you've never had to be in a home with somebody full of the devil, then then we may not quite appreciate this woman's long trip. But I've said before, and I'll continue to say the rest of my life, people who get in their car and drive three hours, six hours, 12 hours to go to a meeting where somebody prays the sick, they should praise for the sick. They shouldn't be mocked because if you got a kid who's terribly autistic. And I mean, they just can't sit still and just all kind of stuff that's going on. Or if you've got a kid that's doing things harmful to themselves and maybe out of their mind, mentally challenged, whatever it might be. All of this stuff taking place 24 hours a day and you're providing round the clock care. It can wear on you. Many caretakers and care workers have lost their health caring for others whose health was bad. So when somebody says, I'm going to ask the hospital to put them in an ambulance and I'm going to pay all that money for them to go to a tent meeting or to a church service so a preacher can lay hands on them there in that place. I'm never going to mock them because they're having to live with that every day. And we get in our car and we drive home to a nice peaceful place and not having to deal with yelling and screaming all night long. So verse 27, Jesus said to her, let the children first be filled. He's saying this is just for the Israelite people. He said, it's not meat or nice, worthy, necessary to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. You got to understand, Gentile people were considered unclean to Jewish people. But the reason this story is is included is not because Jesus thought the woman was unclean or a dog, but it's included to demonstrate that what God does for Jewish people, he'll do for non-Jewish people. So verse 28, the lady answered and said, yes, but even the dogs eat the, 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 the table crumbs that the children leave behind. And you know it's true because the rich man Lazarus had dogs outside his gate. And the dogs came and licked the man's womb. 
And he wouldn't have been outside the rich man's gate if he didn't expect to receive some crumbs or something tossed at him. In verse 29, Jesus said, for this saying, the devil is gone out of your daughter. And when she was come home, she found the devil was gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. What are you saying? God can do things for you even when the person isn't directly next to you. So pray for your sister. Pray for your brother. Pray for your parents. Pray for your cousins. Pray for your enemies, even if they're living in another state, and expect God to bring deliverance. You could have a friend or a family member who's in a mental facility, an insane asylum, whatever kind of institution they may be in, but from your home, from your church, you can pray and intercede, and God is still able to bring deliverance. And in many cases, he'll be willing to bring deliverance, but you'll never know until you go to him. You'll never know. Had this woman not left her daughter to go to see what Jesus would do, she would have never known what Jesus would do. She would have spent the rest of her life wondering how I end up in this condition with my daughter being full of the devil. So intercession is a very, very important thing. If you turn now to the book of Acts chapter 19, I'll give you one more. In Acts chapter 19, you can see in verse number 12, cloths and handkerchiefs. Cloths and handkerchiefs. Acts chapter 19, look at verse number 12. Talking about Peter. So that from his body were brought to the sick, handkerchiefs, aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and evil spirits went out of them. Now you say, why did this happen? Well, look at verse 10 and 11. This continued by the space of two years. That's his teaching ministry. So that all they would dwell in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. And verse 12 gives the special miracles. The handkerchiefs and aprons, the cloths, they were taken from him. So somehow Paul believed and they believed that if Paul put his hands on these cloths, on this material, that when he prayed for these material supernaturally in some wonderful way, these cloths would be used to bring healing to the one that's infirm. Now we can describe this any way that we want. We can say he laid hands on the cloth and then God by the power of the Holy Ghost infused the cloth with a residue of power and anointing. Or we can simply say because of his act of obedience and praying over the cloth and then their obedience and taking them to the infirm that the person was made whole. I don't care how it happens or even how it's described so long as the sick person is made whole. That's the key. That's the key. So all over the world today, there are yet churches that believe that with a cloth, healing can occur. Now, I'm not going to spend all night giving one illustration after another to support all of these different instances that I've, I've uh, mentioned so far. We definitely can do that. But I will say this. When my wife and I, a few months ago, were out in Masai and preaching and they told us about a child that was having all kinds of physical battles, had terrible infirmities out there in that little church in the middle of the desert with houses far, far away. These people brought these cloths to me and myself and several other preachers laid our hands on them and prayed and sent it home. 
We hope and pray the child was made whole, but here's the point I'm trying to make. They would have never brought the cloth if they didn't know this verse. And if they didn't know this God, and if they didn't have the belief that God would do something. So I'm saying to you, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater just because you see some charlatan on television who conducts himself or herself like it's a vaudeville act or circus. And they're trying to tell you, if you just give me some money, I'll give you a handkerchief or something like that. I'm telling you, Paul didn't charge anybody here. We're not supposed to charge anybody now. We're simply to pray for people who need help. So as a Christian, be convinced in your heart by the Holy Spirit that God has not turned his back on the sick. And as I told you before, we're going to always have sick people in this world. Now, there was a man in Spokane, Washington, named John G. Lake years ago. He lived from 1870 to 1935. This man had a great ministry in South Africa. Then he moved to Spokane, Washington, opened up some homes that were strictly for praying for the sick. When you checked into one of his homes, they confiscated all of your medicine, kept it on the side. If you left, they give it right back to you. But if you were there, if you had a drug problem with opium or whatever, you had to go clean with nothing more than you in a room and with them reading the Bible to you. If you were in a wheelchair, paralyzed, blind, deaf, you came to those healing rooms and he trained his people to read the stories in the Bible to inspire faith, and then to lay hands on these people daily, over and over and over again. Can you believe that the city of Spokane, because of that man's ministry, was proclaimed the healthiest city in America back in the 30s because they had so many dynamic healings? Folks, listen to me. Believe God. Trust God. Don't allow the devil to cause you to believe that what God has done, he won't do today. God bless you. We'll be talking to you again soon. Amen. Amen.